0: Visit www.paulsonandnace.com or call 202-463-1999. Today on CityCast DC. So Metro last week rolled out a really frightening budget proposal for the new year that involves a whole lot of cuts and other stuff people are not going to want to see. How real is this? How scared should we be? I'm here with Metro Chief, Randy Clark, and he is going to tell us all about it. Today is Monday, December 18th. I'm Michael Schaefer, and here's what DC is talking about. So why don't we start with the biggest story of the year, arguably. Um, which is the caps and the wizards leaving d c for Potomac Yard. at their announcement of this, they were very keen on touting the transportation access. Uh, what does this mean for metro? Yeah,
1: so listen, it's we're not involved in the decision. Mm-hmm. This is uh, and you know it's not I don't know if it's a decision yet as much as it's a framework for a decision uh, that's up for Virginia and monumental to to work on. Uh, we just opened a new station there about six months ago. clearly wasn't designed for an arena type of ridership traffic, but uh, the mayor of Alexandria has been talking about how modifications would have to be made. So as this process evolves, as it goes forward, we would uh, certainly collaborate with the development and the city and the state and uh, figure out what modifications we needed to uh, facilitate that type of volume of people, uh, a development that size. You're talking a very big development. So, you know, we, we need to figure out a way to move a lot of people. That's what we do really well. We're a gazillion times better than roads and moving tons of people. That's the efficiency of transit. So we look forward to collaboration uh, as this moves forward. So there's
0: been talk of, like, the the bloop... And other changes involving the blue line. How would this affect those changes? I realize it was very early here.
1: Yeah. That. Um, well, one, we have no money for the blue or anything else, <laughs> uh, right? <laughs> so not to be. Uh, so, but it does bring into question the long term. Kind of never-ending challenges of what do we want the region to be and how your transportation network and your economic activity centers and schools and all these things have to kind of be regionally planned together uh, at the end of the day between roslyn and stadium armory we have a congestion problem three lines blue orange and silver all interlined in that section so when it's working perfect it's amazing because frequency is non-stop uh any issues though bottlenecks the whole thing and so now we have to figure that out long-term, and this could play into that. So if it weren't
0: for the arena news, the, I think the news that would be dominating the city conversation right now would be about the metro budget. Because you've rolled out your proposal for next year. It is, uh, I don't know what the Dire. Right, uh, Catastrophic. Dire. I was going to say apocalyptic. Uh, yeah, but all, the, all those uh, agitists will. Uh, it's really grim. There's reductions in trains, reductions in bus service, fare increases, stations closing, uh, and so on. Uh and a lot of layoffs and, and, uh, and salary freezes here, too. Uh, you've said you
1: want to have a world-class system. This is not... This is the opposite of world-class system. Yeah, I mean, that this, this pushes us back heavy. So we just did this great strategic plan, did it. Uh, the board approved it, uh, worked with all of our regional partners on it. I mean, everyone says they want... Our system, which is already arguably the best system in the country, to be more like a European, Asian, you know, the best of the best. We, we're the national capital, the most important place on planet Earth. Uh, and there's ways that we can make that better, whether it's more BRT, you know, dedicated bus lanes, whether it's better weekend bus service in a lot of places that don't have it. Uh, we, quite frankly, should be talking about platform screen doors and automated trains that you would see. I mean, Dulles Airport has that, mm-hmm. they're safer the much better customer experience and more cost-efficient. We need to have goals to move our organization forward, not to be just what we're doing today. But this cuts go completely the opposite of that. So we put a lot of work in strategic plan, uh, you know, we might have to just kind of be at a standstill here for a year or two. I think right now it's starting to look like maybe a short-term versus long-term strategy. Short-term is how do we just not have these dire cuts and not really impact the region the same way, and then really try to get the whole region rallied around what the true cause is, which is a long-term dedicated source of investment so we can stop doing this little thing that we do every other year around here. So I got to ask, speaking of every
0: other year, like isn't this like the, the Statue of Liberty play, right? The Park Service budget is threatened and they say, well, we're going to have to close the Statue of Liberty and everyone freaks out and then and then, yeah, and then yeah. the money is cut loose.
1: Are these real? Like, of course is this they're really real. Well, danger? like, I mean, okay, I, I mean, I don't know if that's the perfect analogy, but I, in one way I like it, which is the Park Service doesn't have its own revenue. Someone else has to allocate the money to the Park mm-hmm. Service, so we don't have our own revenue. And that's a problem. So, so we collect revenue from fares, which is not a massive part of our budget. We got a little bit of money in advertising and like fiber leases, which is like... Very small in the scheme of the budget. We get money from Virginia, Maryland, and D.C. uh, on the operating side. And on the capital side, the same three, and the federal government contributes on that side. Lots of trans agencies have their own revenue sources and, therefore, are held accountable because they have sources that they're responsible for. You mean mean, by own revenue source, just for, like, not budget people? Yeah, like if Uh, you went to, say, Atlanta and their transit system or say, L.A., they have their own sales tax. So there's a sales tax that everyone pays in LA, That's right, and And it's not up
0: to the city council or the state legislature to decide whether it goes to
1: transit or something else. That's right. No, the the transit authority has its own tax. And therefore, it has to grow up and run its own budget. And we don't have that scenario here. We have a scenario where the model is three states all combined. I put D.C. as a state for the sake of the conversation, right? Uh, All three states have to combine uh, on an annualized basis. So we don't really have good predictability year over year. Uh, and it's really bad for our jurisdictional partners, right? Like, if we go budgeting year by year, how do they have good projections on year three, six, nine, fifteen? 15? How do you do fleet planning? How do you do capital planning? Software or technology planning? All of these things take predictability. So we need predictability and our partners need it. But what you're saying is... You got to go tin
0: cupping around to state legislatures and uh, and the DC Council, and has done that since it's founded. It's not that they haven't uh, allocated money to you; it's that the money they allocated uh, is not enough to cover costs as they are right now.
1: Well, I, so there's two things. One, there's a, a dollar, and another is, if you will, I don't know how to really describe this. So excuse the word choice. I, I'm just trying to be be descriptive here. Is like responsibility in. The, Independence of planning, like and and depoliticizing planning. Planning, right? So the way it works now, and all of our partners are great people, by the way. And I've met yet to meet anyone here that doesn't believe Metro is incredibly important and drives the region's uh, quality of life and economics and congestion relief and environmental. So we don't have a philosophical, I think, value of Metro. The issue we have is all those state governments have their own priorities, and we are one of many things. So therefore, every year in Annapolis or Richmond or City Hall, they're going to debate spending their budget on, on a, a long list of never-ending growth of priorities. We get caught up in those three things all the time because we don't have our own revenue. And there's a value in that, especially here, I think, because we have three states. So unlike a New York or Chicago or some other place like that, where it's a one state and you're kind of caught in the prioritization of other public services, at least it's one state we have three states therefore we have three legislatures and three executive and three levels of usage and all of their election cycles are at different times and so it's very hard to have predictability for anybody around the whole top so for the short term what do you need out of these people like how much do they got to boost you i we need investment uh and we put out the numbers in the in the deck but you know we have a 700 million 750 million dollar deficit we have one-time savings of 95 million last year we managed to place really tightly last year We've come up with uh, a lot of other administrative savings without touching service. And those are reoccurring wage and salary freeze, which is worth $38 million. So that that's me telling everyone that works here, for the next 18 months, you're not getting any increase. And I need you to work even harder. Then we have uh, $25 million of administrative cost savings on the capital side, which has been great. So we've done all that part. Then at the end of the day, there's fares and there's service. There's nothing else that we can do. The other thing for people is they go, well, if you collected every fare, you wouldn't have this problem. Yes, we would have the problem. We're a public service. So we are we trying to collect every fare? 100%. Fare enforcement's up. We have all these new fare gates. We're replacing fare boxes on buses. We're going after it, and after it really hard. We want people to pay their fair share. There's a lot of, you know, people use systems, and they say, I see people fare evading. If they did that, you wouldn't have a problem. And it's just that's just not right. technically accurate.
0: So. You know, at the press conference where they announced this new arena, uh, politician after politician of Virginia, including the Republican governor, uh, made a point of saying one of the great things about this is it's right by transit. Sure, yeah. um, which is I guess, I guess underlines yeah. your point that these are, are partners that you like working with. Uh, yeah, I, I'm I mean, it's like, hard to not appreciate if governor this is, thing is you're able to leverage towards uh, getting some action out of these legislatures.
1: Well, I, I don't like the word leverage because then it seems like it's us versus someone. Like, I'm, we're, we're an apolitical organization, right? We're just transit professionals. Look, so that's why I don't like the leverage conversation. So to me, the positive of this is Governor Yunkin um, stood next to a metro station and said, we can't do this without that great station over there. And he's correct. Where metro is, is where everybody is. 3% of the actual land in the, the entire DMV is within a half a mile metro station and it makes up 30% of the property tax for the region. 3% of land generates 30%. 70% of the jobs are within a half a mile.
0: It's time to get dressed up, DC. So Others Might Eat is having its Young Professionals Network Spring Soiree. That's to help raise funds for homelessness in DC. The gala is on the evening of May 17th at the National Museum of Women in the Arts. There will be live music from DJ Heat from the Washington Wizards, photo booths, food, and even a special appearance by a former actor from Pretty Little Liars. Wow. There will also be a canned food drive, so be sure to bring a few cans to support Sum's Food Pantry. Grab tickets before they're gone at sumorg slash Spring Soiree. That's s-o-m-e.org. Slash spring soiree. See you there.
1: When was the last time you went to the theater? Well, we have a new show for you to check out.
0: So one of our listeners, Danielle, uh, called in, and she she said, "Why don't you ask Randy Clark?" Mm-hmm. And you've sort of answered this, but, okay. but like, what is your ideal scenario for for kind of solving this, making it so we don't have to go through this terrible exercise every couple of years?
1: Yeah, well, I appreciate Danielle, and like, like, and what I really I, I like about this whole thing is there's so many people that are involved and care about the topic. And that, and isn't that a great thing in a time of so much cynicism and people saying that no one cares? People deeply care about the services that they rely on every day. So, back to Danielle, if we get the funding, we avoid the service cuts, we avoid the service cuts, we keep running a great system, we keep growing ridership, we keep the recovery going, and we don't have to lay off thousands of our you know colleagues, therefore people's neighbors, friends, and, and whatnot, relatives, and then what we really need is this long-term funding source. And it needs to be thought of as an investment, not subsidy, period. And whether that's Metro has its own tax and, and 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 you know whether it's sales or some other thing, it doesn't matter, you know, and therefore can manage its funding going forward or someone else has its tax and it's all dedicated though. And so it can't go, well, one year we're putting it parks, and another year it's schools and whatnot. That is what's needed. So we have a, a really good line of sight for a long time on operating capital but we are required to manage our costs to that period. So right now, everyone's really focused on, if you will, the short term. How do we ensure that these serious service cuts don't happen and in, in very, very large fare increases? But I think right now the key is how do how do we create space for that discussion? Uh, you know, we're not going to get that long-term fix in the next year. There's just the, the the stars are not aligned for that. So how do we create? Uh, uh, certainty for the public that they'll have a good service? How do we create certainty for us, for our workforce and planning? Um, So we really are trying to just, how do we solve this to create space for the larger conversation? And then we should have one caveat. If we ever have a once in a hundred year pandemic and the worst inflation of all time, we all agree to shake hands and adjust because you can't, Give Metro a different rule set than the rest of the world for the last three years. You can't say your your personal home and every other government service and every business went through inflationary pressures. But magically, we have to be held to some standard for the last three years that completely doesn't line up with what happened in the world. And what we need is a readjustment to what happened in the world, and then go back to having that tight cost control management. But let's be honest, everything went up 10-15% over the last couple of years, and we can't be held to 3% when everything else went up 10-15%. That's just, I think, pretty obvious to everyone.
0: So you talked about fair evasion and how it's like not that big a piece of budget shortfall. There's another piece of it, though, which is, you know, if I'm just a regular Metro customer and I see someone else fare jumping, I think that person has broken the rule against fare jumping. For sure. And my mind, my human mind is likely to go to, well, maybe that person will also break the rule against punching me in the face. Or doing some act of violence or something terrible.
1: I think I think there's a natural tendency for some people to think yeah, that and way. Yeah,
0: it makes it a more frightening experience, just a less good experience. Yeah. Period. You really put your foot down this year on oh, fair, fair evasion. What are some of the things you did, and what are you continuing to do?
1: Yeah, thanks for. I, I mean, like one, I believe if you're going to have a society, you have to have rules. We can debate what the rules should be, and so as, if we as a region all said, like I'm just being hypothetically, we shouldn't have fairs. Fine, and that's a good—that's a healthy policy discussion that the three states and metro should all have. That is a different situation than here are our rules, but let's not actually enforce rules. Then you don't have a v- validity on anything if you don't have rules. So we need people to pay their fair share, clearly. Um, so we've done all these gate modifications, but I think we're at 15 stations, I think, give or take on that, uh, and we're gonna keep working and get every station by the summer converted so they're much higher, much stronger, uh, Will we get zero people jumping in? Of course not. We're not building a wall with you know machine guns on top. Right? <laughs> this isn't a prison. This is a public transit system. Uh, but we've cut down on every station. Uh, we've done the gate retrofits over the last few months. We've seen uh, usually averaging around 70, 75% reduction in fare evasion where we put the new gates in. So therefore, people are paying revenue, uh, paying fares to get into the system. Well, answer me this
0: yep. for a teenager of my acquaintance. Who said, Look, we ride for free and we're teens, so we forget our cards a lot. And what's the harm if I jump
1: at that? Sure. And then there's this other group, which is so we do want everyone that can pay to be paying. So if you and I are walking through, I mean, I think society would expect that we pay. Okay. We have a kids ride free program that we work with DC on specifically. So we worked a lot better with the school system this year to make sure they had their passes. But there will be times where kids don't have the passes. I mean, kids can't remember to take a jacket in the middle of February. They're going to once in a while forget their pass. We will let them through, but what we're trying to do is take. sometimes we take names, sometimes we work with the schools directly to come into the stations trying to do more pass distribution we're also moving to a mobile application because one thing kids don't forget their phones right they just don't do it they're like glued to their head right so we're working on a pilot to see if we can just get the passes directly on there for the kids as well so we've we've seen a much bigger uh compliance out of the kids this year so that's kind of uh so it's not a fair issue there it's more that it's an orderliness issue um so we got that kind of put better together on the bus side we replacing all of our fare boxes. The police have been out and really hitting this hard with citations. And so we've taken guns off the system. Uh, We've caught people on outstanding warrants, things of that nature. All our thing is, we don't want criminals or bad people doing bad things on the system. And I can't Imagine anyone would disagree with that. I want all of my employees to feel safe coming to work, and I want every one of our customers to feel safe on the system. So we're going to keep doing that. The gates are making a big difference. I think uh, you know every day we see those numbers going down on fare evasion, which is good, and our revenue is slowly but surely increasing a little bit. The other thing, and I think this is really important, we created what we call Metro Lift. So when I got here, we created a low-income fare program. So basically, if you are on SNAP in three states you get 50% reduction in costs for fare. So basically, I think it's really important we say, there are people in our society that have you know tough times. So let's make sure the rest of us that can subsidize those that don't. We talked on our pod about this you know,
0: rather small controversy, but one that I think is interesting, because it talks about what Metro is, what Metro is for. Uh, you guys are about to shut down uh, portions of the inner red line uh, for necessary work. Yep. Uh, uh, And it's going to happen over the holiday season, uh, starting December 18th. Uh, And uh, the downtown bid had said, wait a minute, can you wait to to do that in January because we want these people as uh, customers for stores and stuff? Uh, the, The logic of doing it over the holidays was that's when kids are off school and people are less likely to go to work. When Metro was started it was understood as a commuter system to bring people to their offices and take them home. It has since evolved into a thing that people are going to use to go shopping, go to nightlife, sure. etc mm-hmm. and these two uh, these two competing interests kind of represented that. Uh, tell me about your thinking about who Metro's for and 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 you know when is best to shut things down? Yeah, I mean we
1: could go a whole pod just on that topic. <laughs> but so metros for everybody right. for all reasons and that's what's great about transit, right? Transit is the ultimate, maybe the last thing that is this inclusive, bringing everyone in together in America, right? It's not a segregated uh, community by wealth or job or status. We move everybody for all different types of reasons. So one thing I'm really proud of was we built a better transit network to not to be commuter centric only. Uh, And I think the pandemic even furthered that. People want to be able to have mobility whenever they need mobility, so the network was really important, which that leads to shutdown. There's never gonna be a good time for doing a shutdown. And there's never gonna be someone that's not upset whenever we do that. And we understand that, and you know, we, we empathize with that, but we have to do this work. So the work that we're doing at Farragut happens to be uh, original tunnel construction uh, from you know, when this thing first got built, and there's like you know, beams that are, they're gonna fall eventually, right? They're, we'll have a catastrophic failure in the tunnel structure. They're just eroding away. We have to get in there and do that work. It's very complex work. We actually have to shut down, build scaffolding, take care of it all. It's really complex. Like, meaning we can't do it at night, and it just takes a lot longer. It's work that we literally need the whole work zone to do it. So we started looking when the least amount of people we impacted. The last two weeks in December, 40% reduction in ridership compared to the whole rest of the year. So we decided to impact the least amount of people. The other part of this that I think, you know, we want to get thrust is, we have a great bus system. So I don't want us to have this like, uh, elitist view as a city where, oh, my God, the red line shut down. Yeah, okay. What about the bus system? So we, we'll move 400,000 people on the bus today, right? Great bus system. So we're talking about if you go from a couple stations, we're going to have a free shuttle bus that gets you between them. It's going to be pretty seamless when it's all said and done. It's a ten to thirteen days because we have cut in two things. We're going to get in, get the work done, and we're going to get out, and we're going to move on. Uh, and we're trying to collaborate with you know, the the bids and the businesses as best we can. And and you know, I get that they're not perfectly happy with it, but I think I do appreciate they understand we have to get the work done. So you've just launched.
0: Speaking of buses, you've just launched twenty four hour bus service, um, uh, and it's at right at the same time as as we're talking about these these severe. Budget cuts. Um, that seems like a weird contradiction to, to to roll out something. Yeah, I think that's fair. because it's expensive and it, new.
1: It is, is kind of weird. It's hard to not kind of scratch your head a little bit, right? I, and from a an, from a person that's not heavily involved with it every day. So the reality is, it's funded two different ways. So we've been working with DC, you know, with the district here for better part of a year, with a separate funding element that has nothing to do with the normal metro formula funding to set up 24-hour buses. So
0: they said, here's some money. We would like you to run the buses all yeah, night. we
1: work with them, and it's like, what's the most important way to actually get, you know, I mean, we need 24-hour bus system in a, in, a, in a community like this. That's separate from the regular formula of how the three states come together to fund Metro. So they made that money available in their budget. I'm optimistic, you know, um, and depending on the conversation, cautiously or vary, that all the region's going to come together and we're going to avoid these catastrophic cuts. Uh, and if that happens, then this, again, doesn't seem irrational, and it just seems like, hey, another another good thing for the community. But right now, I can see why people, you know, think that's a little off. So we're starting a 24-hour bus system, uh, you know, in a few days. We're very excited about it. It's the first time in the agency's history and, you know, helping this community that way. It's great for our late-night economy. It's great for public safety, you know, avoiding, late like, a lot of fatalities and roadway issues happen overnight. It's great for equity. Uh, it's great for people that you know, people that work at hotels and restaurants. First thing in the morning, people want to get to an airport early. All of these things, this system will make a lot better and fill that couple-hour gap overnight. Um, so yeah, we're really excited to, to launch this.
0: So we put, we asked our listeners to, to sure. send in questions. Another from a couple from Jill, Marcella. The question was, what's Metro doing to? prevent crime or the perception of crime? You mentioned, you've, you touched on this a little bit, but I'm, I'm wondering, you know, what you can tell us.
1: Yeah, well, great questions by them. I, we, we can't put our head in the sand and pretend that uh, there's a crime topic out there, right? And I do think it's both real and perceived. We have a national perception of crime that is probably bigger than it actually is, but we clearly have real crime too, right? So, I, and, and I think it's got pretty politicized, uh, sadly, we have crime in America, especially gun violence, that is, is really bad. And there's no getting around it, right? We have too much gun violence uh, uh, in the country. But if you look at the the reality is there's pockets of crime. But since everyone is dominated by mostly social media and everything's targeted, it is you are in, inundated with crime. Yep. So if the same amount of crime was happening now in 1992, you would not feel probably the same feeling of crime because – depending on where you lived and worked and played, you might not even know about some of that crime.
0: And in real 1992... Was very serious crime. Very serious crime in D.C., but the Metro was never perceived as a place that was dangerous.
1: That's right. So parts on that are, A, there's a ubiquitous now of guns in America. And we're not going to... Like, we have a gun problem in America. So what we've done in Metro, because we can't control crime, this idea that, like, Metro can control crime, I think any rational person knows we can't do that. But we have a role to play in public safety. So we have a great police department... Uh, our chief actually is a former, uh, uh, one of the top chiefs over uh, D.C., so MPD. Uh, we have hundreds of officers out there every day. We're on patrol nonstop. We actually brought in about 100 special police officers, so we have armed security at, mo- at a bunch of our stations all the time now. We have we created a bus unit to just target bus and ride-alongs and things of that nature. We also brought together this idea, and I did this in Austin. We, I think we were the first in the country to do this in transit. Uh, crisis intervention specialists. So by the end of this year, I think we'll have almost ten. But these are crisis intervention, intervention kind of social worker level quality people. Not every issue in the system needs a police officer. There's a lot of mental illness in our in our society that we sometimes interact with, or people experiencing homelessness that we want to get them resources, and a cop might not be the best way to go about that. Uh, so we want to do that as well.
0: I would imagine that there's like. Very few places, at least within the train system, that are not on camera. And in that's some the third way.
1: part, video. So we, you know, we kind of say compassion, uh, cops, and cameras, right? Three-legged approach to what we're doing. So we have our big control center, but we were trying to actually do this in a more proactive way as well. So if you're on a bus, we, we're going to be able to see what happens. If you, you know, buses and trains and stations and all of these kind of things. So that's why we solve crime almost instantaneously, or with our partners. But let's say there was a, a hypothetical, a shooting on the street, immediately we'll be asked, were there any buses on the street at that time? And if so, we'll immediately pull video and help, say, an MPD or someone else. We might catch a shooting on video, which will help them solve it. We might get partial plate if it was someone taking off from it. So we're part of the security apparatus. We've driven down crime. Uh, we're the lowest we've been in nine months. So every month in nine months, crime is going down. So are we where we want to be? No. But it is clear that we have a lot less crime in the system than we did a year ago. Part of that is that point of entry policing where we, at the fair gates, we are stopping people from from doing that behavior and getting in the system. Other, it's just much more patrol out there. And again, video and all this other stuff. So we're going to keep at that real hard. So Before I let you go, what, what's your, where do you live? What's your commute? here to metro headquarters yeah so i I, i'm on the system every single day i think uh i looked at the thing last week i had this year i think about 550 trips on the system i definitely do more rail overall but my rail is definitely more in the week i do the weekend probably a little bit more on the bus side uh but i'm on the system every single day i walk a lot too um but i live in the city and i I assume
0: uh, that uh, everyone here knows where you live and uh Does that make make them more likely to want to work that station or less likely? Listen,
1: my job as a leader is to create a vision, drive passion, and clear the lane for others to care about their work, be empowered, and do their job. Uh, And so, listen, there's no question. The team out there knows I'm on the system. Most people, I think, don't have a problem. Someone kind of keeping an eye on you and holding you accountable when they also are your their champion, and they are willing to put in the work and walk the talk, and that if they're doing a good job, I'm going to thank them heavily, and rep, and my job is to represent them publicly as well. So, yeah. So, it's an honor to have this role. It really is. It's such a an amazing organization, and I'm really proud of the work we do, uh, and we're going to keep working on it to, to make sure people feel, you know, that they can count on us.
0: Randy, thank you so much for being here.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Happy holidays.
0: You too. And that's all for today here on CityCast DC. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more on this and other news from around the city. Bye.
1: Well, I would say the biggest story of the year for us is our budget deficit. I was going to start with the regional uh, story uh, of the year, I guess. I was going to
0: start with something that wasn't catastrophic.
1: Oh, okay.